I, I think that Kashmir is the new Ayodhya. We are going to see much more resistance in Kashmir. I doubt if they are celebrating the abrogation of 370. The armed militancy, you know, it was uh, supported by Pakistan. One sentence on Kashmiriyat, how would you define it? I reject the box of Kashmiriyat. I think of the idea of being a Kashmiri as being something grander than simply some, you know, Hindu-Muslim bhai-bhai kind of uh, trope. I don't ever think of Kashmir in the past. I only think of it as a future. I was born a Hindu. Um, I don't see that as a disadvantage. Article 370 uh, is a strange thing. Uh, in some senses, it governs the special relationship between Kashmir and India. Most of those special provisions have been hollowed out. The shock and the disorder that we are seeing consequent of the abrogation, I would say that its legal and constitutional niceties are having a much bigger impact in India uh, than they are in Kashmir. Uh, is it going to mean that people are now going to settle down into some kind of comfortable and defeated relationship with India? I doubt it. What do you have to say about uh, you know, the Kashmiri Pandit uh, response to this uh, development via the, uh, the Kashmiri Muslim response to it? I myself have seen on uh, the internet videos of small groups of Kashmiri Pandits in Jammu and Delhi celebrating. I'm sure they had some reason to celebrate. Um, I certainly know that my family are in Srinagar right now. My 87-year-old father and my 84-year-old mother are there. I doubt if they are celebrating the abrogation of 370. Um, the one brief conversation I've had with them in the last nine days, they were furious. There must be a difference of opinion, just like I'm sure there's a difference of opinion amongst Muslims. Um, I'm sure you could find um, half a dozen um, Kashmiri Muslims who might celebrate uh, the abrogation of 370. Where do we go from here? After the communication lines are open, after uh, you know, free movement is allowed? I would say that we are going to see um, much more resistance in Kashmir. Uh, it may not necessarily be that the armed resistance gets a boost. It may be other forms of resistance. And what will happen to the political cadres of parties like the National Conference or the PDP or so many other political formations? And how they will cope with the new reality? How they will explain it to their cadres? I don't think it pushes them towards a more um, uh, empathetic embrace of the Indian position. I would be surprised by that. Well, Valley is fertile for the BJP then. Is that what you're trying to say? The decimation of the National Conference or the PDP, uh, if you're asking me whether that clears the way for the BJP to start winning seats in Kashmir, I mean, I would be very surprised. Will there be a BJP government uh, which gets support from the Kashmir Valley? Um, you know, I would be very surprised. Do you then think that it is more um, emotion than pragmatism which is operating from both ways? You do something because you can do it, you know. The consequences, 
I don't think have been worked out. The only parallel I can think is the demonetization. Uh, they've seen what the first step is and catered for it. The first step is there'll be protests, so let's crack down on the protests. But what are the other consequences going to be? We don't know. People in Jammu are upset that uh, Punjabis, for example, are going to come and buy their lands and there is already uh, a conversation about domicile. If, for example, the removal of 370 has so many bounties to offer to everybody in the former Jammu and Kashmir, to the people of Leh, to the people of Kargil, to the people of the Kashmir Valley, then surely this is something that uh, could have been made an election issue and uh, put before the public. A member of parliament from Ladakh made a fiery speech in the parliament and said that it was indeed an election issue. I think that people in Ladakh, certainly uh, there was a movement in favour of union territory. But I don't think that uh, at that time they anticipated that it would be a union territory without a legislative assembly. How people are going to express if and when they are allowed to. I think that Kashmir is the new Ayodhya. I know that people in Kashmir are now uh, finally understood that their fate has uh, sadly become locked into the electoral uh, uh, sort of uh, games that are played in mainland India. There is a complete fog surrounding them. You know, I think I think we need to insist that things be done for the fog to lift before we start forming opinions on what people are thinking, what they are for and what they are against. You had once used the word intifada in reference to Kashmir. Do you actually feel that there are uh, these parallels uh, you know, with, with a very specific situation in Kashmir and the Israel-Palestine where the word actually has a different connotation? The word intifada um, uh, apart from the connotation, the specific connotation in the Palestinian context, um, actually refers to the unshackling. I use the word uh, uh, in the consequence of what happened in Kashmir in 2008, 2009, 2010. What was the unshackling was that for the first time, the balance between the unarmed public and the armed militancy shifted very, very significantly. And the protests in Kashmir were being spearheaded not by the armed militancy, but the unarmed uh, masses, so to speak. But that's not necessarily true, because in many of those protests, we saw protesters were holding up flags of uh, jaish muhammad Al-Badr, or, or uh, most recently, the IS. I think that what happens in a protest who raises what slogan, what flags are waved, will always remain a very, very mysterious and complicated thing in Kashmir. There is a whole business of psyops, of uh, who plants what flag in which uh, crowd. Are you, are you suggesting that it could be actually the establishment that uh, plants these flags? Well, uh, let's just put it this way. Um, I would have no evidence with which to say it, but this is a very popularly held opinion. It has always been to the advantage of the establishment to make the protests seem much more radical and fanatical than they actually are because it helps them to harden public opinion in the larger universe. It helps them to take harsher measures. 
So if it were to suit the establishment to give a radical uh, color to uh, to a public protest to a mass protest what would be the purpose of denying uh, a video which was put out by BBC where uh, the after the Friday press there the slogans were raised like um, azadi ka matlab kya la ilaha illallah and uh, indian establishment categorically denied that there were any such protests happening I'm not here to defend what slogan is raised in Srinagar what it means the particular slogan you refer to in the BBC program it's a very old one and nobody who has ever followed Kashmir would think that this is the first time they've heard that slogan I personally uh, wouldn't waste a lot of time uh, analyzing the minutia of what visual material comes or doesn't come out I would pay attention to the larger picture and that that larger picture is pretty clear to me The establishment also intends to put out this narrative about a silent majority which is largely pro peace pro India by extension what do you have to say to that as to <clears throat> whether kashmiris think that being pro peace is being pro india that's a complicated question i think we that's a question that maybe we should um, first ask dalits in india you know whether india is a peaceful country for dalits maybe we can ask indian muslims that question let's grant them all the goodwill that they have been demanding you know the home minister and the prime minister in their speeches what is going to change in the valley that article 370 abrogation would now facilitate the idea of um, a demographic shift now a demographic shift doesn't simply mean that hundreds and thousands of indians will pour in but what will be the impact of um on small businesses what will happen if for example state government jobs are no more reserved for state subjects um these are real anxieties and i somehow um i don't think that the assurances of the government uh or even uh the unfolding of a huge bag of promises that the prime minister made in his speech i think uh, none of those promises could not have been put into place uh, without they they could have been done without the abrogation of 370 if the if the welfare of the people of the kashmir valley uh, was the intention it's a it's a clash of egos would you say i don't think it's a clash of egos at all it is a very very serious a uh, challenge and i think that is why people in india that is why so many people in india are so exercised about it because they are seeing in it the potential of a methodology that could be used against uh, people in in other parts of india as well and not just in jammu and kashmir we see pakistan uh, government getting really worked up about uh, developments in the valley so where does pakistan come into the picture it would be very difficult to say that pakistan has had nothing to do with anything right from the moment of partition uh the the 1989 the armed militancy there's no doubt that you know it was uh, supported by pakistan and to the present so um pakistan has been speaking loudly um about it that's also because kashmir has a certain position within the popular imagination in pakistan